Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. January 22nd, 2020, this is Messiah Matters number 286, so busy I have forgotten to write an intro. My name is Caleb Hegg. Surprised at Caleb's laziness, not. Thank you. This yes. is Rob Vanoff, bringing from a new mug. Oh, what'd you get? The Mountain Goat Coffee from, now I've had this mug, but it's, I usually use uh, a Yeshua Shirts mug. Yes. Or a Tor Resource mug. But uh, my wife and I had a mini getaway this last summer, and we went to Packwood, south of <laughs> nice, nice, nice uh, product placement there, Caleb. Yes, um, it's a cool little coffee shop. So if you're ever in Packwood, Washington, which is south of Mount Rainier, there's a cool little coffee shop there. I think they roast their own coffee. I know exactly where you're talking about. I actually used to spend a ton of time in Packwood. That's yeah, a cute little town. Little is the is the appropriate word there. It's like if you if you sneeze, you'll you miss it while you're driving. You know. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone. That's knows why everyone. you just that's just that's why it's just a place you stop and say hi. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be have some nice chatter while you're getting your coffee, and then I'll be honest with you, it's not a place that I would actually go now and and like oh let's go let's go hang out in Packwood. You you you, you, you go there so that you can ski White Pass. Yeah, I, I'm not a skier, so I don't uh, I'm know. not. A, uh, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase. You go there so you can snowboard White Pass. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, hey, welcome everyone in the chat room. It's good to see everybody. Uh, looks like we got a good showing today, which is always nice. And uh, uh, yeah, so hello. Hey, by the way, I would like to know for those who support this show, we have uh, monthly supporters for five dollars or more a month. Um, I posted a show prep last week. To me, it seems like that'd be horribly, uh, who would ever want to see that? However, I think that about a lot of things. 
No, I got an email from number 23. Oh, really? And, yeah, and she asked me, she's like, yeah, I just had a question about something you said on that uh, that behind-the-scenes time. This is my paraphrase. And I'm like, cool. So, um, if, anyway, if you saw so I, that, if you if you are a supporter and you were on the supporters page, which you can't reach if you're not a supporter, by the way. I know I'm. every time I mention the supporters page, people are like, where can I find that? <clears throat> Start you, you you go to Torah Resource, you donate five dollars a month on a recurring donation, um, five dollars a month or more, and then we give you access to this to this page. Anyway, if you're a supporter and you saw that and you liked it, I want to know. If you hated it and you're not going to watch more of them, I want to know that too. Because if it's something that supporters want to see, then we'll record them every week. Hated it. <clears throat> hated it. But if it's something that you like, gonna hate. Let me know. Um, okay, let's get a couple of things out of the way here. First of all. You can be part of the conversation. Our comment line is 253-465-3205. I'll say it again in a few seconds. Get your pen ready. You're not going to talk to us. You're just going to hear an answering machine, and then you can say whatever you want to say, <clears throat> good or bad. Say what you need to say. Oh, Christina says liked it. Okay, we got one like so far. Um, you can also send us email, chegg, at chegg at torahresource.com. It's not torahresources.com. It's Resource. Com. So if you're sending it to chegatorresources.com and you're not getting a response, that's why. Uh, so chegatorresource.com. This show is uh, ultimately produced by Torah Resource. Go to torahresource.com for all sorts of uh, free stuff. and uh, Free and paid stuff. You can get books, DVDs, and then there's also uh, free, free stuff you can get as well. Uh, we're redoing the site, and i got to say, it's, I think it's going to be a lot, a lot easier to use and a lot better for people. I can't wait for it to come out. Uh, with all that said, we also have uh, associate and executive producers. Now, one of the perks of being an associate or an executive producer, you pay for, you pay for your uh, producership once every uh, quarter. And then uh, if you're a producer for that quarter, we give the option of, of letting people write in and choose audio clips to be played on, on air. Uh, we got this model from another podcast. Uh, from the Podfather, actually, and so uh, <laughs> the Podfather, I like that. Well, he he's the guy who Adam uh, Adam Carolla or yeah, Adam Carolla actually invented podcasting. Oh, hence the name Podfather. Okay. Um, anyway, um, so we got this model from from the Podfather, and uh, so basically. I got this message from Sue, who is one of our, I believe she's still an associate producer. I haven't made a clear distinction yet. So if you're wondering what in the world the difference is, I'm not sure yet. Can I quickly ask about the book behind you titled Paul? Is it a good book? Oh, that's uh, N.T. Wright. No, it's not. Oh, I have N.T. Wright's. I have N.T. Wright's at home. This is uh, E.P. Sanders. Oh, E.P. Sanders. Paul, The Apostle's Life, Letters, and Thought. Um, this book only I, what fifteen hundred pages. That's, that's a lot of pages. There, it's a friend. lot of pages. It's only eight hundred and sixty-seven pages. Uh, the 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 type is not large. Oh. Um, the reason I got this book actually, I got this at uh, SBL. I think actually last year, and I yeah, haven't I, think... I haven't actually cracked it yet. The reason I got this book is because he talks about First Corinthians, and in the work that I'm doing in uh, Greco-Roman meals, he actually uh, I opened the book to the place that I was currently studying when I when I was looking at this book. And he wrote on it specifically, and I, I saw something I needed to reference. Now, I don't know how much this book actually cost me, um, but I'm pretty sure what I did was went to my father 
and said, I need this book because there's a reference in it. And he that looks it. like for an SBL, that looks like 20, 25 bucks probably. because it's half like a half off. It's usually it's probably like a 50 or 60 dollar book new. I, I can't and, I cannot recommend it or say yay or nay to it one way or the other because I haven't read any of it yet. The only thing I've read in it is the quote that I needed. But, you know, my father, I don't know if people realize this either, but there is a um, there is a quote that we use often in the office and it goes like this. Need that book, buy that book. In other words, if you're going to need the book at any point, don't just ask somebody to borrow it. Go and buy the book. This is this is so true because we're, what you're talking about is a, a bigger theme of how necessary it is to invest yes. in your development as a learner. You can't, if all you do is sit and watch YouTube videos, there's going to be a ceiling to, to your, um, how, how would I say it? Discernment of subtleties. And that's why, like when you take classes at Tor Research, you're going to have reading and you're going to have compare contrast reading. And then you're going to have like a writing assignment to kind of talk about, you know, this is what this guy says. This is what this lady says. Um, this is where they agree, disagree. And this is my opinion. And right. what that forces us to do is to when we read and engage is to own our own knowledge, own our own growth. So and uh, we were talking. And so it's an investment. You can't do it without it costing you ultimately time and money. Um, yeah. So real quick before I go on, I can't believe I said Adam Carolla. I apologize. That is not the Podfather. The Podfather is Adam Curry, and I hope that Adam Curry never hears that because I think that he would be thoroughly offended, and I would get roasted a lot on his podcast for that. Uh, <laughs> Adam Curry is the Podfather, not Adam Carolla. Okay, back to this though. Uh, Rob was talking about something that we actually had a little bit of interaction with before we came on here. I've been watching these actor roundtables, and uh, they're about an hour each. I've watched maybe one or two of them. I got to tell you, I've been I've been uh, reading so much recently that my sometimes your brain just needs a break, and I don't know how to decompress my brain without just watching something that's not theological at all. And, uh, so I, and that's, it's often hard because what are you going to watch? that's going to, you know, not be smutty anyway. So I found these actor roundtables there by the Hollywood, uh, reporter. I found one that had, it was the most recent one and it had Robert De Niro, Tom Hanks, um, Adam driver, Adam Sandler, uh, Shay LaBeouf. Anyway, they're, they're talking about, um, Jamie Foxx, they're talking about their craft, you know, and they're talking about what goes into it and, you know, how they prepare uh, for a role and all these things. And, and Shay LaBeouf is talking about how it's a sacred thing for him. Once he gets on set, it's sacred. It's this, you know, he is prepared. He's, he's made physical changes. He's gone on diets. He's done all this research. Now he comes on and all of this work has led up to this one thing. And it's this, he, he gets into this state of, of, you know, it's a, of sacred space, essentially. And I thought to myself, my word, what if believers had half the amount of dedication to the Lord and to their walk with Christ as these actors have to what they're doing? Now, I, I understand that it's their job, 
But you know, when I think of okay, I need to I, I need to research a oh, theolo- that they're multimillionaires. <laughs> with their that, yeah, that could be that, that could be too. But the, but the point is, is you know, we I think a lot of people think that I sit around and, and am able to just study because that's my job. That's not my job. The the job that I do is mainly, you know, working on customer service, web development, that kind of stuff for for a website. It has nothing to do with studying. Most of the study that I, I mean, I would say 95% of the study that I do, I do at home. So it's a sacrifice. When we invest in books, it's a money sacrifice. When we invest in, you know, um, uh, Bible software and stuff like this on our computers, it's it's a financial it's a financial investment. And when we uh, and we invest time, we invest. I mean, you know, we stay up late. I get less sleep because of the stuff that I'm trying to work on. The point is, is that as believers, we need to put this full dedication into following the Messiah. And I think that people haven't realized how all in it, like we give our life to Christ. We like, that's what we do. Our entire life is. And so, you know, buying these books and whatnot is, is, uh, it's part of it. Um, okay. That was a total side note and a rabbit trail. Okay. Let's get back on track. Um, so basically Sue Levy, who's one of our uh, producers for this quarter. She wrote in and she said, I know it's a bit late because she bought her producership, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. She says, but whenever you feel like it, if you would need uh, to, if you, if you need to take some, uh, up some airtime, which we can always do, you can play my favorite audio clip for my producer credit. Okay. It's in the email below. And one you've played for me before I sent it in, uh, I sent it to my Wednesday Torah study as a promo for your dad's new covenant study, <laughs> which we will be starting tomorrow. Two of my Monday ladies will be joining us because they want to go through it again. It's oh, so cool. good. And she's talking about what is the new covenant by my father, Tim Hag, which is probably one of the, I think it's one of my favorite uh, uh, series that we have on Torah resource. So I'd, I'd highly recommend everyone. If you have not seen the series, it's a, it, it, I think it's $20 or $24. It's four D it's four lectures and it's absolutely fantastic. With that being said, let's uh, say thank you to Sue Levy for her, uh, for her uh, producership by playing her clip. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. You've been blessed. A big thank you to all of our producers, our executive producers and associate producers. If you are an executive or an associate producer and you want a clip played or want a message read, you can always do that. Send us a message. We are pretty uh, pretty easy going about that stuff. Okay. Well, let's jump right in. We're only 15 minutes into an hour show, so uh, we still got some time. We got some great, and I do mean great, conversation starters here. Do you want to go baptism first or would you rather start with Sylvia? Let's start Actually, with... Or should we talk about my debate real quick? Let's oh, do that. Let's do that. Let's do debate, then Sylvia's email, and then baptism. baptism. I think, yeah, agreed. Okay. Um, so I had an informal conversation. That's what it was called. Um, I would consider it more like a debate, but it wasn't structured. So there was no moderator, which is why it's not called a b- debate. With uh, Sean Griffin. Now, I've been asked by probably five or six YouTube channels recently in the past two months 
to come onto their YouTube channel and uh, talk about the, the deity and or the trinity. This has probably stemmed from the fact that in January we switched our intro music and we put a couple of doctrinal notes in there, one of them being that we are unashamedly Trinitarian. This has brought the uh, heretics out of the, the woodwork and has uh, brought them into our chat rooms without, uh, without fail. Every single week there's somebody in the chat room tr trying to say that the tr trinity is unbiblical and trying to spout off the, the heretical, uh, you know, views. Anyway, that being said, I've been asked onto a lot of, uh, a lot, and, you know, my personality on this show is one that I don't censor a lot. I, you know, it's just robbing me talking. So a lot of the time I'm able to be a little bit more forceful. And not only that, but I don't have time to sit here and, you know, talk about every single aspect and every single argument and all those kind of things. So I think that people think that I'm coming across abrasively, which I probably do come across that way. It's not how it's intended. Um, so I saw Sean debate David Wilbur on the Book of Enoch, and uh, obviously I disagree with Sean. He runs a YouTube channel called Kingdom in Context. Obviously I disagree with Sean on, on numerous, numerous theological doctrines. Um, but the thing that I did like about Sean is that Although I feel he is condescending towards his opponent uh, sometimes, I think that he also is not one to yell or get upset. He holds his cool. And I felt like that would be the kind of person that I would actually like to talk to because the last thing I want to do is go and talk to somebody who's, you know, won't let me talk or keeps pressing the mute button, something like that. So I went and I had this conversation. I made some mistakes. There's no doubt about it. I made a couple of mistakes. And one of the biggest mistakes I made was he said, uh, we were talking and, it, and the back and forth was going pretty fast. And he said, we were talking about begotten. Now, if my mind would have been working right, he said, now begotten means created. And I said, yes, wait, no, that's not right. And that threw me off. So um, if I would have been thinking, I would have said, well, okay, when Yeshua is baptized, and the father says, today you are, you know, the, the, the dove, the Holy Spirit descends as a dove on him. The father says, today you are my son, today I have begotten you. It doesn't mean that Yeshua was created right there and then. That's not what that means. So there is a, there is a meaning within begotten, especially within, you know, uh, his big thing was uh, divine agency, which I... I I wish I would have pressed him more on this, but he doesn't, uh, I don't think he's really represented divine agency very well. Anyway, the point is, is that uh, divine, this idea of begotten does not always mean being created. It's a status. It's, it's, a, it's a status marker. Um, so that was, that was one of my big mistakes. Um, anyway, if you want to watch that, you can go to Growing in Messiah the Growing a Messiah uh, YouTube channel, and you can watch it. There was one, Caleb, if I may. Yes. If we, uh, unless you had any other thing you wanted to talk about, please. From that, because um, I watched the, the first five ten minutes, and then I skimmed through, picked, and then I watched the last five ten minutes because I didn't have a whole hour. But one one area where I think he has a big challenge ahead was he was you you brought up the the words of the last passover or last supper and he kept saying to you i'm not going to eat with you as if he was trying to argue that yeshua keeps 
Passover in heaven and all, and therefore all the other feasts. And he wouldn't let it stop because, and I, if you go towards the end, you can see it. He won't let oh, it's to you, meaning only with his disciples, but his reading is complete. There's no way his reading is sustainable. If you look at Luke 22, um, it says, Yeshua says, I've desired to eat this Pascha with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it. I shall never eat it again. Or, sorry, uh, never again eat it right. until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share, etc. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Okay, so his reading is completely incompatible with Luke 22. Um, and I was shocked because what that showed to me is that he's driven by an ideology or an agenda and he's uh, rather than being shaped by the actual scriptures. And, and I had that inclination when he kept pushing this agency idea, because there's, if, if he's going to say the Trinity word, Trinity is not in the Bible, the word agency is not in the Bible right. either. Right. And he's pushing this concept of agency, agency, agency. And, um, I, I just think he's, he seems kind of green. Um, I think he does have a, a, a calm, uh, demeanor, and that was nice. He didn't. He didn't like uh, get angry or not. But he he is a little bit. Um, I, I got the sense he was condescending. He talked down to you, um, and and I think that some people like that in a leader. They oh think sure. That, yeah. They think that it, that means that this person is trustworthy as a leader. But you know, my personal opinion, I come away with that going, "Wow, yeah, I." I this guy has a lot of, of growth, and um, I hope he has some men in his life that are sound in the Word of God that would help him as he learns the languages and and continues to refine and work on his, his theology. Right. Yeah, actually, uh, so there's a little bit of a discussion in the uh, chat room about the idea of, of uh, begotten. The, the term, today you are my son, Today I've begotten you is a, and I talked in that debate about Caesar and Vassal treaties. However, uh, Sean was unaware of what Caesar and Vassal treaties were, which was interesting because he wanted me to. He said at one point he said you should, should go research agency, but he was unaware of what a Caesar and Vassal treaty is. So I'm, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that yeah? Where he, you start that means when, he's exactly he's got the idea of agency. He latched onto that from someone he's listening to, buzzard probably, buzzard he, or good, maybe, yeah. and he's running with it. And he hasn't stopped and, and brought, and this is going to tie us to Sylvia's thing, he hasn't brought that thought fully to submission to Christ, in my view, um, because it's, it, won't, it won't stand. But the point um, is, is that within the 15th century BCE, uh, Caesar and Vassal Treaties, we have this term. Non-biblical texts have, today you are my son, today I have begotten you, from one king to another. So, I mean, it's... It, it's this and this was I was another trying. point. Another point is that he asked you, he says, well, like you were trying to explain back to him his viewpoint. Like, so you're saying that Yeshua was at some point created or begotten. And he's like and his response was, well, you use whatever words you want. And and that it's like, no, it's like that's not a that was a, a bad move. It's on him to articulate clearly his theology, not to tell you not to have you grasping, trying to come to an understanding of his theology and him telling you to use whatever words you want. That's not the way we articulate truth. 
I don't articulate truth by telling you to use whatever words you want to, to define my, my stance. I need to choose my words carefully and then, and then express my viewpoint and defend my point. He failed to do that. Well, one of the things that I've noticed, and this wasn't just towards Sean. This I've I've noticed this about a lot of uh, a lot of people that I've I've chatted with recently. I get this a lot, which is, well, don't use I, I don't care what man says. I only care what the Bible says. And this is used, and maybe subconsciously, I don't know if it's you know, but this is used as a, as a tactic to say don't use anything. Just just talk about verses. But the problem with that is, is that you have a, a huge long history of men and women who know the language, who have wrestled with the text and wrestled with each other over what the text says. So the idea of don't use any man, anything of man, well, then don't read an English Bible. <laughs> the reason you have a Bible today is because of the of the scholars and the and the debates and everything that that happened. They have carried the text on. They've translated it for you. When you open any, you go buy ESV or NIV or NET or any of these Hebrew names. You know they've got man's fingerprints all over them. So you you thinking you're going and reading that. Um, I remember I knew a guy who he had the script. He used the that's called the Scriptures. Have you ever seen that one? Oh yeah. And, and, and it's like a little blue cover right. and everywhere they, they had the tetragrammaton, it puts the tetragrammaton in like some sort of little paleo Hebrew font. Right. Um, and they, the, the idea is like, Oh, this is the restored scriptures. And it's, there were time and time again, when we'd be sitting down and I'd be going, no, that the Hebrew says this, you know, where, and it's, it was a, like, he had to recalibrate every time. Cause it's like the, this is it. All I need is this book, the scriptures. It's un. It's like pure, and it's like. Oh wait, hang on just a sec. We got we got an interesting comment. Oh, but you have no need that anyone should teach you, brothers. That's what John said. So does that mean that we shouldn't have any teachers? Is that I mean is that the, is that the argument there, that from from that passage we should understand that there should be no. No doubt. No teachers. Yeah, I guess no Yeshua, I guess when Yeshua sent the apostles out and said, "Teach, but make disciples," yeah, and uh, baptize, that you know, yeah, the, yeah, or that when James yeah, says, I, I, and, 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 and hang on just a second, say, say, uh, the, the person in the chat room, Saint Seven Nine Nine Two, says, "I say that sarcastically, FYI." And yes, that's how. And I agree. I I I, I took it that way. I took it that oh, way, I but I didn't. I don't see but, it. So, but but the but the point is, is that we have people who say this, right? We have people who come into conversations say, "Oh no, 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 I don't need anything else except for my Bible and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches me everything I need to know." So back to the Bible issue, though. What if right. they're using? What if? What does that mean? If I have the Holy Spirit and the only Bible I have is the New World Translation from the Jehovah's Witnesses, right. am I good? Right. Or if I have the King James Version of the Mormons? Oh, yeah. No, because man's fingerprints matter. Okay. And, I, I, okay. I want to say this, though. If you want to watch that, um, then you can um, you can go to Growing a Messiah uh, YouTube channel and, and watch it there. Uh, the Didache is a good instructional manual. 
Hmm. That's an interesting comment. That's that's a FFOZ position. That is an FFOZ position. Yeah, we reject that. Yeah, and it's also the position it, that the Didache was written in the first century. Yeah, and it's not. With, Didache is clearly second century. I, we know that uh, uh, there's a Dr. Nisim, who I know, I mean, I talked to him briefly at SBL, who argues it's first century. It's clearly not. I asked him about scholarship, if he had engaged with, with uh, the scholarship on the uh, the gospel as being uh, referred to as a written text, and he hadn't even engaged in that scholarship. It's clearly second century for m multiple reasons. But there's an ideological purpose. There's a gain for FFOZ and Dr. Nissim to present the Didache as a, as a, a first century document. In so doing, they're trying to separate it they're kind of making it quasi-canonical. And what I mean by that is you have the canon, and if you have the canon, that means everything else is history and not inspired, and you have to sift through it. They want to have an in-between space where they're going to take the, take the Didache out of just normal historical record and then try to give it a special privileged place without making it in the canon, but it's like another little partially holy place. And it's, uh, there's numerous arguments of why the Didache is not helpful and actually a, a dead-end street for disciples of Yeshua. Uh, and so we can, you know, we've talked about the Didache before, but it's not first century and it's not good instruction. The, any good instruction, I'll put it this way, any good instruction in the Didache is found in the Gospels and in the canon. So, uh, so, 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 therefore, it, it doesn't contribute to understanding the canon. The Didache contributes nothing to understanding the canon. It contributes to understanding one stream of tradition in the early second century. That's all. That's what it's good for. And our knowledge of it is highly limited because we have only minimal text witnesses of it, and they're very late. So the text, the manuscript history of the Didache is, is also something that needs to be come into bear. Uh, okay, hang on just a sec. We, we, we got a ringer here. In, uh, in, in the chat room, King, Kingdom of the Son of God claims to be an Anabaptist. Lena asks, what's an Anabaptist? The answer is not, does not show that they understand what an Anabaptist is. He says, the early church took the Eucharist in honor of the Davidic kingship. Historically, this is not what Anabaptist is. It was a movement, and uh, it, there there are a lot of there are a lot of aspects to what Anabaptists. Uh, I just were. I just read a Babylon B came on my screen. <laughs> Striking blow against toxic masculinity. Man graciously allows wife to shovel driveway. <laughs> Um, Sorry. I, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jump into. Um, I'm not gonna jump into. It seems as though uh, a kingdom of the son of God in our uh, chat room is attempting to. Uh, I don't know. Do what? But uh, yeah, we're not gonna engage in this kind of conversation right now. We got other places to go. Let's uh, move on. Go ahead and talk about. Do you have? Well, well, well I can. I can read. Uh, I'll read while you do the tech. I could have done this earlier, but buddy, sorry about that. I thought you uh, couldn't hear me. So here's from, Sylvia sent us a message through Facebook, which is one of our avenues. I don't know if we really talk about Facebook much, but Messiah Matters has a Facebook page, and you can send us a, a message through Facebook also. And I'm usually the one that 
reads those first, whereas Caleb gets the voicemails first. But we do share them. It, we, it's, we'll both get it no matter what. But anyway, Sylvia connects with Facebook, and she says, I have a question. Many in the Christian community talk about strongholds, the need to break them in our families. So she's talking about strong strongholds, and I've, I've encountered that before, too. Uh, she continues, uh, what does the Torah say about this? I have not read anything in the scriptures about this. I have been a follower of Jesus for about 45 years and focusing more on the Torah for about 10 years. Wow. That's awesome, Sylvia. That's such an awesome walk. 45, that's almost half a century walking with the Lord. Uh, then she says, I enjoy listening to you on YouTube and reading information on Torah Resource website. Thank you, Sylvia. I think Sylvia's in Spain. I, uh, I don't, I, I think so. But in any event, we appreciate that message. And we just want to say what, it, what an honor it is to receive uh, a message from you and uh, that you, you know, I'm just, I turned 49 this year. So you've basically, you've been walking with Yeshua <laughs> for almost my, you know, almost my whole life. Right. And um, that's, that's very special. And, and so um, in any event, uh, back to your question about strongholds, uh, the the place, and I, I had a subsequent back and forth ping just to clarify, and I and I think I'm on the same page with Sylvia, and what she has in mind is first or Second Corinthians 10, and I think this will also be a good verse to segue into baptism, our our third topic today, but our sep- second topic is is Sylvia's email, um, and Tim. Uh, wrote a comment. No, Tim has not done a commentary on Second Corinthians. I wish. I told but him. I, day, haven't, I, I told him. I don't know if he needed to. I don't know if Tim has done a, a commentary on this verse. So I, I'm ignorant as to that. So if, if Tim's written on it, I have not looked. But there's so many articles you could look through from Tor Resource. But we do want to look at it. Um, Paul writes in verse three. I'm going to start in verse three, even though we might go back to verse one when we talk about. Uh, baptism. So this is 2 Corinthians 10. He's talking about believers. Though we walk in the flesh, means we have we still have flesh and blood bodies, even though we're new creations, we're, we're new covenant members. We're identified, and we're going to get into this baptism issue, with Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. His new life, his resurrection life is in, um, inseparable from our new life. Our new life is inseparable from him. This is what Paul means at the end of Galatians 2 when he says, I am crucified with Christ, um, yet not me. I, you know, I live, but yet I don't live. You know, it's Christ who lives in me. And he's trying to explain this. Like, But Paul doesn't see himself as this separate thing anymore. He's part of Yeshua's resurrection life, Baruch Hashem. Okay, for Paul says, uh, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we're not fools. We know that while we walk in the flesh, we don't fight against the flesh. We recognize the flesh by by God's gift of discernment, wisdom. We recognize the flesh for what it is. We do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But now I'm reading the NASB, and there's various readings. But it says, but divinely powerful, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Hmm. And that's the word here uh, that is, I think, taken and maybe in some cases hijacked 
for different ideas of break the strongholds in your family and things. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, verse five, we are destroying. Um, now this is the, it comes from the same word in the, the destruction of the fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Uh, and we are taking every thought captive mm. to the obedience of Christ. Okay. So this, what does this mean? I see this as a, this is like such a, a precious passage of scripture where Paul is talking about something that's super important for us as believers is that what, as a new creation believer who still is in this world and still is in the flesh, and there's all sorts of, this is where the trials are, right? The trials and the battles and the pain and the suffering and the, the ache and, and the, you know, all that kind of stuff and the sinful nature is there. How are we to be equipped? How do, what's my, what's, what are my weapons? What's my armor to stand like, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians to stand in the armor of God and to, and that's what he's equipping us with, with these awesome words, like with the armor of God. But here he describes it in more, much more succinctly. He doesn't get into the full armor of God like he does in Ephesians, but he uses the model, the picture of fortresses. Now, if you look at, uh, so just to zero, I want to do one zero in on this word fortress. It's only used here. Ahurama is Ahurama is what it is in, in Greek. It's only used here in the apostolic writings. But if you look at the Greek translation of like the Septuagint tradition or the Greek Jewish Bible tradition, it's used all over the place. It's used for strongholds. It's used for uh, like the prison. I think it's used where in Genesis where Joseph, the prison Joseph was in. Um, it's used for in a verb form to fortify the walls of Jerusalem, to build up a city wall. And that's, that's the idea. So all the, the canonical Tanakh, what we would say that Greek Tanakh, if you could if you could say that, uses it only for like a prison or build a, or a fortress. But what we see, we have two places in, in first Maccabees, which is, they say is about 100 BC. 100 BC. So first Maccabees was written in Greek about a hundred years before Yeshua, roughly. And in first Maccabees, it's used this way. And this is in the, this is telling the story from the, from the prior, you know, 60 years prior, the one sixties of the Maccabee of the Antiochus, you know, the whole Hanukkah story, right? Where the Greek infiltration. And, uh, so the first Maccabees 162 says many in Israel remained strong and fortified themselves not to eat common things. They preferred to die so as not to be contaminated by food and not defile the holy covenant, and they died. Okay, so this, in my understanding, is from the research, limited research I've done, it's 1 Maccabees, 100 B.C. roughly, is the first time where I'm able to see this, the verbal form of this Greek word, used in a Jewish context, not for the fortification of a city and not as like a stronghold prison, but as like a personal uh, resolve or a personal strengthening to resist some sort of outward coercion or pressure that would be ungodly in my eyes, right? And then, and so, and then building on that tradition is, is and that's the only time in, in First Maccabees, nothing in Second Maccabees. Third and Fourth Maccabees are probably first century. AD compositions, they're 
Fourth uh, Maccabees is, is quite late, but in Fourth Maccabees we see it. It says, just as towers jutting out over harbors hold back the threats of waves and provide calm to those who sail into the haven, so the seven-towered uh, good sense of the young men, by fortifying the harbor of piety, conquered the unruliness of the passions. For they constituted a holy chorus of piety and encouraged one another. Okay, so I think that the author of 4th Maccabees is influenced by the picture from 1st Maccabees, which might be 200 years older, and is using this stronghold language specifically as a personal religious resolve to stand firm against some sort of uh, outward pressure to stray. And so they're fortifying themselves. And so um, I think that when Paul, when we look, that we, we read Second uh, Corinthians 10, then at least this one, this one little blip where he says, our weapon, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely power for the destruction of fortresses. He's not talking about that believers in Yeshua are going to go take down a city wall, right? Um, he's talking about human pride that has built up callousness to the truth of God, to hearing the Holy Spirit and responding. And one example, I would say Paul would him probably, if we were able to talk to him, maybe someday, Lord willing, we could even sit down with the Apostle Paul in the kingdom and have this conversation, is he's such a great example. Paul was fortressed, you could say. He had strongholds that were legitimized by his zeal for what he thought was the truth of God, the zeal for the Jewish nationalism that was uh, fuel for his persecution of believers. He thought he was right. He thought he was righteous and that these believers in Yeshua needed to be delivered, to be tried, and even put to death. And he was uh, he was approving, even like Acts 7, he was approving of the stoning of Stephen. That okay. was a stronghold. That right. was a stronghold that, by God's grace and his election, boom, he gave him the smackdown. When I think of strongholds, I might like when I think of this this passage, and I could be totally off on this, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But when I think of the second Corinthians ten three through uh, three through six passage, what I think of, where my mind goes is Matthew six nineteen. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. It, that's actually a bad translation. It should be whatever it, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Um, so I think there's a, obviously a spiritual element, which I, obviously you've touched on, Rob, um, that has to do with belief. Um, well, and, and the, the core question, though, is what does the Torah say about this? Right. So just to be clear, the, the Torah doesn't use this specific word to talk about it in the way that Paul or even in 1 Maccabees is being addressed. However, what do we learn? We learn that if we took it even literally and we look at Joseph was in a stronghold, he was, Joseph was two years in this pit. Right. There was nothing Joseph could do to 
excel. He tried. He said, remember me, get me out of here. You but know? he breaks down the strongholds of those around him spiritually, right? He, he rises he, to power in the, in, yeah. the, in the dungeon. When at the time set by the father, right, according to the father, he has Pharaoh bring Joseph out of the pit. So, um, so in, now, of course, our command to love is a command, like to uh, remember to love your neighbors yourself, but it also says you will not suffer sin. You will correct your neighbor. In other words, part of the covenantal love is is grace and truth. That means if if my brother's trapped in a sin, you know, and this is Galatians six. You know, if there's one among you who's who's trapped in a sin, which is in a in a stronghold, I would say. Galatians 6, you who are spiritual among you go and seek to restore the one and, and watch yourself lest you too stumble, right? So, so that is just an, ex, uh, an expounding on the Leviticus command to love your neighbor as yourself. If you, if you say you love your neighbor and you just never bring truth into it, you, you know, love is not always... Just yes, love has no. Love says no. Sometimes you can't do this. No, this is wrong. This is against God's word. And uh, and the, if someone's resistance to that, I mean, you could look at Matthew eighteen. What does Yeshua say? You go privately if he's offended you. If he doesn't hear you, then there's there's like a stronghold there, right? You bring someone else and you try again, right? It's like you're coming to a city. There is a proverb, you know, that uh, a brother offended is harder to capture than a <laughs> than a than a fortified city, you know. I don't remember where that is in the Proverbs, but, um, and then you you try to reconcile, and and if a person persists in their stronghold, at some point you have to def- break fellowship, right? Uh, and, and that's Yeshua's instruction. So these are unpacked, in my view, from that. One other bit is: does is it a family thing? Are there strongholds that are transmitted down through families? I would say strong uh, the strongholds don't have to have family commitment. <laughs> they could go to, um, like, like the, I think this whole, this whole, uh, agency thing is a stronghold that we were just talking about. And I think it just goes from one guy, one teacher goes out and teaches and someone else takes it and runs with it. I see that as a stronghold. It's, it's a spiritual <clears throat> battle. It's not flesh and blood, spiritual battle. And, uh, so it's not necessarily transmitted within family, uh, circles, although it could be, Should we Go. move to uh, baptism? I agree with you. Sure. Did we touch? If yeah, th- yeah. Let's shift over then. Uh, I mentioned Thanks, Sylvia for the. Uh, yeah, the, I did mention. However, I mentioned Matthew sixteen nineteen, and um, basically, now we have people asking, "What does it mean to lose something on Earth?" We'll have to talk about that next time. It's a good conversation to have, um, and so I. But yeah, this goes back to the Pentecostal movement, right? So anyway, okay, let's go to baptism. We had, I mean, basically we probably don't have time to do this justice, but we'll talk about some of this. Christina writes and she says, um, what age is acceptable for, she has four main points, by the way. So let's start and we'll try to get through some of them and see how far we get. She says, uh, number one, what age is acceptable for baptism? If children want to be baptized, what should that look like? What about baby baptism? So infant baptism is um, part of 
part of uh, theology for a long time, and I am a strong believer that that infant baptism came to replace. So if you ask someone like N.C. Wright, he'll tell you that that uh, that uh, circumcision was a sacrament of the old covenant, okay, um, and that the new covenant has replaced uh, those sacraments with new sacraments like baptism. He won't actually say replaced. I, and I interviewed him on this and asked him this question. So he is very careful not to say replaced, which I actually appreciate, but I still think he's wrong on this. But the point is, is that infant baptism came about because of a, a, a supersessionism, essentially, a want to replace Israel and circumcision. Now, we could talk about the historical reasons for that. We could talk about the Fiscus Judaicus. We could talk, I mean, and if you don't know any of the words that I'm saying, that's okay. It's, it, but there's a lot of elements that actually play into why this theology came about of replacing circumcision with infant baptism. So, I don't find Im- infant baptism anywhere in the Bible. Uh, those who believe in infant baptism will often say, oh, well, we see infant baptism in the uh, in, in the Red Sea, right? Everyone comes through the Red Sea, even the babies. And the babies are, that's a, a, a symbol of baptism. Um, okay, I understand that argument. I don't think it's a good argument because if that's the only scripture that you're, um, that you're resting infant baptism on, I, I think you have an uphill battle. Um, but maybe that's a discussion for another time. So what age is acceptable for baptism? I, I think that it all depends on the person. Um, you know, my son is seven years old. He he has expressed a want to be baptized. We've been talking, you know, almost daily about some of those, what the ramifications of that is. For him to say, I want to be baptized, it means you, you give your entire life to Christ. There's not, um, you know, it, it, there's no taking it back. Once you do it, you've done it. And so I've asked him, why do you want to be baptized? He's said, because I want to live my life for, for Christ. I want to, you know, I want to live, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to do everything for Christ. So these are the right answers that, that you want to hear from someone, right? A dedicate, a full dedication. The problem is, is I think that a lot of the time, children of that age don't necessarily understand what that means until they get older. So this comes down to, to parents. It comes down to parents. It comes down to the people around you. Um, you know, my father was baptized at the age of five, and that's when he, you know, he accepted Christ. So, and I, Burke Parsons said a great one time, I pray that my children have the most boring conversion story. Isn't that the <laughs> truth, right? No doubt. That's funny. <laughs> um, I, uh, before my son started uh, saying constantly that he wanted to be baptized, I said I wasn't going to baptize any of my children until they were 18 so that they understood the ramifications of what that meant. Um, in, I know in Russia during the, in the uh, old USSR, before, when the Jews were being persecuted and the Christians were being persecuted, um, I know people who said that they wouldn't let their children get baptized until they were ready to go to prison. Because if they got baptized, the, the chances were they would go to prison for it. So there is an element of, is a person willing to stand for the truth in terms of being persecuted for it? I, I don't know. These are, these are questions that only a parent and a child can can ask, but I think that certainly an, a a full acceptance of Christ and a willingness to live to Christ is certainly the uh, the hallmark. <clears throat> Do you have anything to say about that? Well, and it's a niche. It's in a way, it's initiatory. It's an initiation. 
And what I mean by that is, like Paul unpacks in, in Romans 6, we continually then reflect upon our baptism into Messiah for the rest of our life. Right. In other words, it, it, you, identification with Yeshua's suffering, with his death, and with his resurrection is not a one-time done, right? I mean, he, he says, whoever, you know, wants to follow me, have him pick up his cross and follow me. In other words, daily, and daily, this is a reflection. Our baptism into Messiah is um, then a, 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 a framework for our theology of who God is and who we are as growing in Messiah, to use uh, Caleb and, and Lucasia's ministry name. Um, and that's that's our ongoing reflection. And we grow in discernment and wisdom, and we grow closer to God as, uh, not that he grows closer to us, but we, he shapes us. He continues to shape us. Uh, it's just like Moses, you know, Moses at the burning bush versus Moses at the end of his life. Right. You know, you, I mean, yes. I mean, what's, we, we uh, he grew and he learned to see for one, his own depravity, you know, until Moses hit that rock twice in anger. And then the Lord says, okay, you had your little temper tantrum, but you failed to trust me. You failed to sanctify my name in front of the people. You're not, you're not entering the promised land. You know, um, that must've been, that was a, that was a clear look in the mirror for Moshe to say, wow, I'm just as susceptible to sin as all these people I'm angry at right now. And, and that's that depravity nature. And, and God loved Moses no less before or after right. that, right? It's, it's, uh, but Moshe learned about himself and his own frailty and his own dependency on God. And that's, that's to me, the picture that baptism, of baptism that Paul unpacks in Romans 6, that, that identification with the suffering as well as the resurrection, is something we learn more and more and more about. And it becomes more and more beautiful and more and more of our own story as we grow and mature, even though we don't, and, and I don't think someone can really even, you can't study enough before a, your, you know, physical baptism to know all that, you know, you got, it's, you, you learn by following Yeshua. You don't learn, you don't study Yeshua from a distance and then decide at, at, you know, at some point, you know, it's like talking about what, the soup tastes like before you taste it for, yeah and like you could read reviews about a restaurant all, until you're blue in the face but if you don't go and actually and and the discipleship is when you're in discipleship is not when you're on the outside looking in you know i, I was reading a really good book adam nader he's a professor at whitworth uh college here in spokane which is a uh whitworth is that presbyterian it's reformed i think i'm not sure um, it's definitely Protestant. Uh, we have the Catholic, which is the Gonzaga University and Whitworth University. But anyway, he wrote a book called Theology as a Way of Life. And his point is you can't follow Jesus at a... Uh, at a distance? At a distance. Right. At a safe, there's no safe distance. We got a lot going on in the chat room There's here. no safe distance. You have to be you're up close and you're, you're in the middle of it, the whole walk. So uh, Ignition Nation says, should someone be baptized if someone was baptized, then fell away and years later come back? So uh, this is this is one of the things that 
like a reaffirmation. Yeah, kind of thing. I, I've done that. I did that. I'm okay. I, I mean, I, that's I'm, obviously not the... I have no problem with that. But the, the point is, is that when you're baptized, you're willingly saying, yes, I give my life to Christ. And so that should, uh, no matter what, it should be an outward expression. Uh, and Josh was, Josh was right. Uh, Peter says, uh, repent and be baptized. Now, at what point a child comes into an understanding of what that means, that's a good question. Should, bapti- should baptism be in a dedicated pool if possible, or can should can slash should folks be baptized wherever they can be immersed in a public and or informal place? I've baptized people in pools before. I was baptized in a pool once, and I was baptized in a baptismal once. Um, I, I don't think that's the point of it. I think the uh, traditional, you know, oh, it's got to be a living body of water or whatever it may be. These are man-made regulations that have been placed onto something that God told us to do. We have been told to be baptized. That it means that we, it is a symbol, uh, a, a marker of us saying, I am no longer sins, I belong to Christ. And I give willingly everything that I am and will be and will do to Christ. Um, a lot going on in the chat room. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, I think all good things to, to think about what is required scripturally before one can be baptized to believe, to believe, repent and believe. And I think both of those go hand in hand. A person who truly, I mean, look, believe does not mean like, oh, yes, I think there's a God, right? Even the demons know that there's a God. That's not what it means to believe. Believe means understand what it means and repent. Realize the impact of what it means. Live it. That's what me- believe means. So what is required to be baptized? Believe and repent. And repent means turn. Who can baptize someone? Pastor, elder, mom, dad, anyone. Uh, doesn't matter. The and actually, I'm not. I'm not completely certain that there needs to be another person to help you go under the water. All I'm certain of is that there needs to be witnesses. It needs to be witnessed. Should bat, baptism happen in running waters, pools? We already answered that. How many times can or should someone be baptized? I know that, and we talked about this last week. Someone's going to bring up the point. Um, you know, one baptism, one Lord, one baptism. That's not what it's talking about when it, you know, so the idea that you can't be baptized a second time in your life, especially if you've been, you know, if you were baptized as a baby or something like that, or if you got baptized into say the Catholic church and now you want to be rebaptized or something like that, certainly giving your life to, uh, to the full service to Christ is basically what we're trying to do here with baptism. And interestingly, I didn't realize this, but the Episcopals, they believe that God's grace comes through the sacrament of baptism in the Eucharist. So you don't get God's grace until you get those. Right. Which, uh, uh, wow. Um, yeah, I didn't, I never realized that. Um, we're pretty much out of time. We could do one more. Want to? One more? One more what? Uh, one more. Well, we went through two of her questions here. You want to oh, talk oh, oh yeah, okay, go ahead. Differences between mikvah and baptism. We've actually talked about this before. Maybe discuss the symbolism of water cleansing throughout Scripture. Well, uh, I'll, I'll jump into this, and then you can, uh, you can take over. Um, 
I thir- certainly believe that there is a difference between mikvah and baptism. Now, I know that people are going to say, oh, well, baptism came from mikvahs. There, there actually isn't as much evidence for that as you might think. And the reason why is because they're so much different in nature. Mikvahs are for the cleansing of, of uncleanness, and I understand that there obviously is some crossover here, but it's done repeatedly, right? There's many different times that you go and you have a mikvah. You can have a mikvah, you know, multiple times in a week. And there's always a, there's always a context in which you have a purpose for doing so. Yes. And you so, wouldn't just go do a mikvah. It, it's not like a bath. It's not like, you know, we, you know, in our, in our culture, you get up, you take a shower in the morning or, right. you know, someone might take a bath at night or whatever. It's not, don't think of it in terms of that. But at the same time, when we look at baptism, baptism, and when you became, when you had a mikvah, which is, by the way, for those who don't know what that word means, it's essentially a ritual bath. And we see these throughout the, the Torah. Um, beyond that, you weren't giving anything for that bath, for that ritual bath. In other words, the difference is, is that with a baptism, it's a one-time symbol. It's a symbol of death to life, and you're giving something. You're coming. You're you're showing that you're in covenant relationship. That you've t- that you are no longer a uh, slave to sin, but have become a slave to whatever you're following. And this is exactly why, um, in First Corinthians ten. We see this. We see this term. You were baptized into Moses. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the spiritual food. What does that mean? Baptized into Moses. Well, what the, what I believe that means is that they were willing to. I mean, it looked like they were going to die. They, they followed Moses. They put their trust in Moses, and they followed him no matter what. They're pushed up against the sea. Pharaohs behind them. They say yes to, to following Moses, and then they go through the water, right? And they're saved. The point is, is that um, being baptized says it's a, it's a symbol of I will follow this person. I have given everything. I, I, I just realized I made a blunder earlier. I was thinking, <laughs> I, I was in 2 Corinthians 10. And I was thinking, I had my Corinthians mixed up. It's 1 Corinthians 10 that has this verse that you're reading now. And when I was reading 2 Corinthians 10, I was thinking, my, my wires got crossed in my brain. I was thinking it was the same passage. So that's why I made these comments earlier about, oh, we're going to get earlier in that verse. It was actually, I mixed my First and Second Corinthians. Yeah, that, that's a great point. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Somebody asks, you're, 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 a, you're, it's part of the expression of being part of Messiah's people, being a belonging to him, belonging to Yeshua. Right. And, and, and then the new covenant life that that entails and the, the knowledge and all the good fruit that will come, that will, you will learn to be uh, recognize as who you are in Christ and then the pruning that will be yet done and the you know put turning away from the old is all part of that new world and you share with every believer every man and woman of faith that have come before you all the way back to Abel you're part of this um, uh, community um, somebody asks sprinkled or, or uh, full immersion 
and, and it's true, there's a full debate on this. However, I think because of John 3, I think that, uh, I think, look, I'm not a person who says, oh, if you're toe, you know, if you got everything under except for your toe, it didn't count. No, 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 that's not the point. Obviously, this is a symbol, but the symbol is of new birth. The old self dies, the new self is born anew. And, and when Yeshua says, unless you are born from heaven, born from above, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the, the point is, is that I think the symbolism here is actually uh, death going into the water and being raised up or being born new or being raised into new life. And so in my opinion, I think that the symbolism is lost. If you take, you know, if you, if you dip your hand in water and sprinkle it on someone, you've lost some of the symbolism that I think is going on. Yeah, well that, that takes us back to the Didache, right? The Didache, you say, use water, you know, if you can't do that, then do this. If you can't do that, do that. It gives all these, like, instructions on, um, on what you can do. Do what you're able is this, and that's the, you know, FFOZ kind of has pushed that with their Didache uh, push. Do what you're able, and that's that's not, um, that that's not... Uh, no, it's not what we see in the Bible, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And it says if you do everything, you're perfect. So that would be like if I was immersed and you were sprinkled, I'm perfect and you're not kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, it's incoherent with the actual canon of Scripture. Okay. Um, you know, we... Maybe next week we will talk about what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That could be interesting, uh, as opposed to being baptized. Um, anyway, it's been a good discussion. Thank you, chat room. Man, you guys were on fire uh, today. Lots of lots of conversation, and good conversation at that. Um, anything else you want to say? Sorry about all the technical difficulties. I don't know what was going on. In fact, I'm thinking about... Just an FYI for everyone, I am thinking about going to a different service, and um, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. What um, do you mean? Oh, a different... Well, right now, we use Skype through Wirecast. Now, Wirecast is, you know, it's a $500 program. It's, it's the real deal, and I'm able to do all sorts of great stuff with Wirecast, which is one of the reasons that we have, you know, like our, our credits that can pull up and all sorts of stuff. Um, but we have so many technical difficulties. E even right now, my, my audio is off from my, from my video in Wirecast. So uh, there's just a lot of annoyances. So I'm wondering if it's a computer issue or if it's a software issue. Software, yeah. Very possible. So we might have to change. Yeah, somebody says Zoom. I, I'd have to look into Zoom. I know that uh, people have used it. I've looked into it a little bit. Um, I'm not, yeah, I, I mean, it might be worth a free trial. There's some other stuff that we could possibly do too. Anyway. All right, guys, uh, it's been fun. Next Shalom, week, I have, no, I have no clue what we're going to talk about next week. So if you have any ideas out there in, in uh, digital land, go ahead and send us an email. Our email address is chegg at torresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. You can also call our comment line, 253-465-3205. Thank you to all of our supporters. Thank you to our executive and associate producers. And yeah, we hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. 